very thankful uh, that uh, last week Pat was able to pick up uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second, but next week I'm also not going to be here celebrating my daughter's birthday. Uh, she's going to be eight, you know, very soon. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but next week, Kenny Payne, who is a, you might be familiar with that name. Uh, he's a missionary in Ukraine. He's back here for a little bit now. Amazing testimony. Uh, we were able to have Kenny Payne out at Teen Week this past year. He taught an encounter class at SunQuest, and he just has a great story. Uh, so I really hope that you're back here next Sunday. Uh, Kenny, we're going to be out of 1 Samuel uh, next week, uh, but I, it'll, I promise it'll be well worth it. This man is led by the Spirit in all the things that he does. I've known him since I was a high schooler, and he's just a really great example of what it means to live out the Great Commission in really, really, really radical ways. So excited to, uh, for you all to experience Kenny, and I can hear it later on, uh, maybe on the podcast uh, later that week. But like I said, uh, if you weren't here last week, Pat uh, preached on 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I loved the way that he took that text in uh, talking about uh, the people of God being God users, right? This idea that the people were taking the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the, the example of God being with his people out onto the battlefield, and God's people lost. Uh, because in that way that Pat talked last week was that they were intentionally trying to just use God rather than to worship God. They were worshiping the things of God rather than God himself, and it ended up not going so well for the people of God, right? The people of God, not only did they lose before, they lost even more. The second time. 1 Samuel 4 uh, showed us uh, just how confident the Jews were, but that confidence was placed in the wrong place, right? The confidence was definitely there, but it was in the wrong place. God is not just a good luck charm, right? God is God, and we are not, and we should not abuse him in that way. Very, very big implications for us today as well. We're not but still very important. But we're going to continue here in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6 today. So follow along with me. Have your Bibles open. We're not going to read every single verse. So please have it open so that you can see with your own eyes what we're going through today. So we're just going to jump right in here to 1 Samuel chapter 5. one. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark to Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod arose early the next day, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But, follow, but the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had been broken off, and they were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any, other worship, any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. Okay, so we have a very, very, I guess, maybe movie-like scenario where an a army goes in, they conquer a group of people, and they take their most important thing. And to the people of Israel, that was the Ark of the Covenant, right? It was their good luck charm. It was what they brought into battle with them to success. But it did not bring them success. Like we said, it brought them the opposite. And then here we are with Dagon the God of these people. And now you might be familiar with Dagon. This is what Dagon is kind of represented as, a merman, kind of, not to make fun of, but right? But he's a merman. Um, but Dagon was actually the God over agricultural fertility, 
right? So people would uh, pray to Dagon in order for their crops to harvest plentiful so that they could have food for the rest of the year or whatever it might be. And they are worshiping him, especially for grain. So I want you to have that in the back of your mind. Tuck it back there for later. People would worship Dagon for grain. But this is not the very first time we hear about Dagon, actually. This is actually the second time. The first time we hear about him is in Judges chapter 16, verse 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered us Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And so you might be familiar with Samson. He's a really strong guy with really long hair. Did some bad things along the way. Not the greatest example. Uh, but in this chapter, uh, they bring forth uh, Samson into this place. They've cut off his hair. They've taken away his power. And they bring him before Dagon. And if you're familiar with the story, or if you're looking in Judges chapter 16, you know what happens next. Right? Samson is in this very compromised place. He asks God one more time, could you please give me your power so I could show your greatness to these people? And then Samson, he grabs those columns and, and they, they collapse and they kill a lot of people and Samson himself dies. And the only reason I bring this up is, is context is important, but it's also important to recognize that this is not Dagon's first experience with the presence of God. Right? We have Samson coming here, and he is the kind of a, a vessel for God. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 5, we have Dagon once again in the presence of God. And it doesn't go very well for Dagon. Right? Dagon, the very first time, he falls before him almost like he's laying down to worship God in that moment. But I find it very funny that this is the response of the Philistines. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. If you can put your God in his place, that's probably not a God worth worshiping, okay? And they, they took Dagon and they put him back in his place because Dagon, he had experience with this God before, right? He didn't go so well the first time. And now, once again, he's brought into his temple and he falls down in worship before the Ark of the Covenant. And the second time, it goes a little, a little worse than this, right? His hands fall off, his head falls off, and there he lies, this inanimate object, just a body, before the Ark of the Covenant, before the presence of God. And soon we'll see not only is Dagon's hands torn off from his body, but we're going to see a different hand come into the picture, and it's the Lord's hand, and the Lord's hand is going to be very, very heavy against the Philistines here, okay? So in 1 Samuel chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, the Lord's hand, okay, very important, kind of making that connection. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us, because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God. They feel bad for their God here because it's not going well for him once again. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What shall we do with the ark, excuse me, with the ark of the God of Israel? It has not been great for the people. And if you continue reading, if you kind of scan through 1 Samuel chapter 5, thus begins the world tour of the Ark of the Covenant. He's going from city to city. It's like a band, right, traveling. And the band comes to town, but it's not really a great event for the people who are in the town, right, because this exact same thing happens from town to town. Every time the Ark of the Covenant comes, the people are afflicted with these tumors, these sores of some kind, and a lot of people die, right? So, the, so after seven months of this, um, 
they need to do something about this, right? Because this is kind of the environment that they're living in. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Bad things are going town to town, but wherever the Ark of the Covenant goes with these Philistine people, bad things happen. But I hear this, and I can't help but also hear this, okay? So if you're, I need some water, hold on. I can't talk right now for some reason. Thanks. All right. Um, If you were here last week, Pat mentioned this, that there was this cry that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. And then fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 12, those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. So in both of these contexts, I see this loud outcry happening, and the Ark of the Covenant also being present. Okay, but in 1 Samuel chapter 4, this outcry is not a reverential outcry, right? Because remember that the people of Israel, they brought the Ark of the Covenant to battle because the Ark of the Covenant was their good luck charm. Because they lost before, but maybe if we bring God along, we'll win. Their outcry was kind of this maybe um, self-reverential in a way to where it's like we are here, we brought our big scary God with us, and we're going to win today. That's the cry you hear in 1 Samuel chapter 4, but the cry that you hear in 1 Samuel chapter 5 is not self-reverential whatsoever, right? This is not something to where people are excited to make this loud shout. This is a, no, I'm actually in the presence of God, the ark covenant is here and we are actually facing kind of the reality of who God is at this moment. Two cries, both in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, but the people of God don't really get it. The people of not God, the Philistines, they're really understanding this in a different way. It tells me once again that the Philistines are actually more deferential to God in this moment. Because if you look back in in 1 Samuel chapter 4, when the Philistines, they hear this loud outcry, what do the Philistines say? Do you remember? Hearing, this is in uh, 1 Samuel 4 verse 6. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines ask, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? They're scared, okay? Verse 7, a God has come into the camp. They said, oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will ever deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Right? The Philistines, they've heard about this God and they are actually afraid because they know what God has done in the past. Whereas the people of God don't have any memory of that because they're like, as long as we have this thing, we're going to be okay. But really the Philistines, they knew before the people of God and they definitely know here in chapter 5 what God is all about and that they are not on the side of God so after 7 months they need rid of this they need this gone and uh, they come to it comes full circle in chapter 6 of of 1 Samuel and they make a pit stop along the way on the way home because the the Philistines are advised they have to bring 5 gold tumors and 5 gold mice it's kind of strange, but it's supposed to show reverence to God as they return the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people. But before the Ark of the Covenant can get back to God's people, it makes a pit stop in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19. 
But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. And before we go any further here, Beth Shemesh is a borderland between Philistine people and God's people. There's a lot of mixed company here. But in this, what we're reading here is this is God's people, okay? These are Israelites here receiving the Ark of the Covenant back, okay? But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked inside the Ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow of the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? this holy God, to whom will the ark go up from here? And so we have here the Philistines experiencing God, and now we have the people of God really experiencing God. But remember what I said about Dagon, about this agricultural fertility? This whole story comes full circle here in 1 Samuel 6, chapter 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley And when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. Do you remember what happened when Dagon and the Ark of the Covenant kind of came together? Dagon, right? Dagon fell before and worshipped kind of God in that moment. The the God of this agricultural fertility, he, he bows before the actual God of all things. And then we have the story coming back where the ark is fully returned. And where does the ark stop for the people of God? Right here in Beth Shemesh, and what are they doing? They're harvesting their wheat in the valley, and they looked up and saw the ark, and they rejoiced at the sight. And then they proceed to worship God. So we have here that the God, Dagon, knows to worship God. This fertility, this agriculture fertility God knows to worship God. And now God, he says, you know what? My temple is not just this place. My temple is going to be everywhere because this is my creation, right? And the people of God, they receive the Ark of the Covenant back. And what do they do? They stop and they worship. But this also happens. God strikes down some of the inhabitants of Beshemesh because they looked into the Ark of the Lord. And you're saying, isn't that harsh? Don't you, like, why did God do that? Because I'm sure that there were some Philistines who did the exact same thing. Did they get struck down immediately as well? I don't know, it doesn't say that, but what I recognize from this is that, in a way, these people should know better, right? Nod your heads if you're with me, okay? They should know better, right? These are the people who have heard forever that there's specific people who are supposed to carry it in a very specific way, and all these things are to be done, and once the ark is returned, they still don't get it. And up to this point, I kind of see 1 Samuel telling us is that everybody's blind, the people who are closest to God are often the most blind to what God is doing. And these people kind of experience what they thought they were going to experience when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them. You follow? They thought originally, hey, we're in a bad spot. We can bring God with us and we're going to win. But now they're actually experiencing the power of God. And that final question, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? This is how they should be feeling. God is holy. I am not. I am not a God user. I am a God disciple. I am the one to be doing the worshiping, not the using of God. But I want you to hold all of this in your mind, okay? I want you to hold this whole story, this full circle of God and Dagon, this, this before the temple of God, excuse me, before the temple of Dagon, and then when, uh, when the Ark of the Covenant's there in the valley where there's harvesting taking place and God full circle being there all the time. 
I want you to think of a place you go with specific people. Okay, that might be a weird sentence. But think of a place you go with specific people. For me, I'm thinking of, I usually go to the golf course with my dad. Uh, I play golf, uh, sometimes with my friends, uh, sometimes with people who enjoy playing golf. I am not going to invite my wife to come play golf with me. Why? She does not want to play. Okay, she does not want to go with me. Um, I like to go to the beach a lot. I like to go fishing, I like to surf, I like to play with my kids at the beach. I'm not going to ask the Walmart cashier to come to the beach with me. You see what I mean? And that's a silly example, but I'm sure you can think of things for yourself where you do a certain activity with a certain group of people. Not because you're excluding anybody, but because it just doesn't really apply to them in the same way. Okay? And I think this is very healthy for us to have, you know, compartmentalize relationships because we're able to pour in to certain things and expect everybody to do everything with us, right? Me and my wife have a great relationship, but I know she doesn't want to play golf with me, and that's okay. It's part of, of developing healthy relationships and developing really, really tight bonds with the activity that we do. And as much as that is healthy, though, I think we take that same philosophy and almost apply it to God in some ways. Sometimes we tend to compartmentalize our relationship with God in the activities and places that we go. And kind of, the, there's, there's two things that I want you to take away from this with this in mind. And the first is that God shows up when we don't want to see him a lot of the times. We talk about <clears throat> compartmentalizing relationships. There's often times where it's like, okay, God, you're supposed to stay here at 810 Hollywood Boulevard. I'm supposed to come see you once a week. I'll take communion. I'll do what I need to do. I'll listen to Jimmy talk for way too long some Sundays. Some dumb jokes, and I'll get through it, and God, you're going to stay there. But we don't want God to show up in those conversations where people are asking us about our faith in the wild. Right? When I say the while, I'm talking about your job, talking about whoever. We're afraid to have those interactions where we can almost feel the Spirit tugging us to say something or do something, but we just don't do that because this is a place. And I, sometimes I get it. You have, to be recon, you have to recognize your surroundings. But I think if we're going to be authentic disciples and not just God users, hoping to bring the Ark of the Covenant with us into battle when we need God to show up, you need the big, scary God to come and defeat our enemies. If we're just going to do that, then I don't think that we are truly, authentically living the calling that Jesus has called all of us to live. If we're just bringing God where we want him to be, because this is what God does. He shows up when we don't want to see him. The Philistines experience this. The people of Israel experience this. And we ourselves experience this, too. I, <clears throat> I couldn't help but think of a story when I was a sixth grader, and sixth grade is rough. I will tell you, sixth grade is awful. Um, it was back when middle school was like three kid in the school, and you're also still tiny, but there's guys that went through puberty already, and they're way bigger than you, and it's awful. In sixth grade, I was trying to be really, really funny in computer class, and this is when I got my first referral in school. Um, I'm not going to give you all the details. Uh, but there's this computer program where you're supposed to type in your name, and throughout the program, the, the computer says, Bob, Jimmy, fantastic, Jimmy, way to go, Jimmy. Jimmy wrote a bad word in for his name, because I thought that would be hilarious. 
Sixth grade Jimmy, that was really funny. So I was doing that, I was laughing a lot, and I uh, go to nudge my friend to show him, hey, look what I did. And the worst thing possible happened. Instead of looking me directly in the eyes, his eyes were above my head, and behind me was the teacher. And immediately, like, I lost it. I was like, no, 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 it was an accident. I didn't mean to. I, it was like the worst But she showed up the last time I wanted to see her. And what's funny about that is that, you know, we can, I can laugh about that story now, but man, that day was awful. It was awful. I remember the dean called my dad because my dad was a teacher in the county. He looked, me and my dad have the same name. And he goes, you can't be Jim Devine's son. That hurt so bad. And I, I felt so, I, and the, the question I kept asking myself is, why did she have to show up then? Why couldn't she have just been on the other side of the room? Why couldn't she just not seen that? But the moment I keep, you know, as an adult, I, that's the wrong question to be asking, right? The, the real question is, Jimmy, why were you dumb? <laughs> why did you do that? It was your fault. It wasn't the teacher's fault that you got in trouble. And I was more mad that she caught me rather than the fact that I had done something kind of dumb. And I think the same thing applies to where we often find ourselves in the lowest of lows and experiencing really deep darkness. And we're saying, why did this happen to me? Why? And I'm not saying everything that we do is, is direct causation of the things that we choose to do. But a lot of the times we are. Excuse me, they are. Where we choose certain things and we do certain things that take us further and further away from God. And when God shows up with that person who calls us and says, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you at church in a while. That's God showing up when you don't want to see him. The parts when we're furthest away from God and we get that text or we see somebody in the store who says, hey, how's your walk with Jesus? If you have friends that ask you that question, please, please, please keep them in your life. Because even when you're far away from God, they have a way of bringing you back in. And my prayer is that this isn't really a point, but that you find friends like that so that these experiences where we don't want to see God, because that's silly for, for a minister to say, what, what do you mean you don't want to see God? But you know what I mean. When we have friends in our lives that have the ability to pull us back in, those are gold friends, the gold standard of friends. So the first thing is that, you know, we have this compartmentalizing relationships and, and we don't want to compartmentalize God and we definitely don't want to live in this place where we don't want to see God showing up. That's the first thing. The second thing is something that I have to be reminded myself. That, yes, sometimes God, maybe in our experience, God doesn't show up, or excuse me, shows up when we don't want to see him. But this is a promise that's hard for us to remember. Okay? Just like the Israelites, they, they brought the Ark of the Covenant for a very specific reason, because they felt like this thing was going to give us victory when they didn't realize that that thing is just a thing when it's not really looked in the right way, right? That it was God giving them the victory, that it was God that was with them, but not just in those moments of battle, not just in those moments where they were around, but God was always with them. God remains with us. And I love this verbiage here from John. For whatever reason, this has just been in my mind a lot lately, and I just want to share it with you one more time as we close out today. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
apart from me, you can do nothing. I just want to pause there for a second. It's, it's like these words are being echoed through time, right? Through the... Do. It's like he's screaming from the future. If you bear much fruit, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And unfortunately, it's not just the Philistines that experience this, right? It's the people of God who experience this. When they don't realize that God is always with them, that's the problem. They will be taken, will be, you know, separated from the branch. If you remember, excuse me, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The truth that God remains with us is often difficult when we're in places where we don't want to see God, is what I'm getting to. The, the times and places where we don't want to see God, it's often very difficult to know that God has ever been with us or ever will be with us. And so what I want to kind of just bring to you this morning is that this story is not just about you know, we almost divorce ourselves from this reality. Okay, these golden rats, golden tumors, Dagon's temple, what does this have to say to me? It's saying this, that we can't compartmentalize God. We have to recognize that he is always with us, but are we with him? Are we remaining with him as he remains with us? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship you this morning. And God, I recognize there are probably people in this room right now that are rolling their eyes at this idea of God remaining with them, that they showed up today uh, maybe being dragged by somebody, maybe being asked by somebody, but I pray that the Holy Spirit is able to do a great work in them that, that I could never, ever imagine doing. I pray that everybody in here recognizes that, that the Spirit is, is working whether they recognize it or not. And I pray that they can get to a place where they really realize that you do remain with us as we remain with you, God. God, help us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the time when we offer an invitation. If you have any needs at all, if you have any prayer requests, if you're saying, you know what, I've never felt God remain with me ever, uh, we want to help you with that. If you want to be baptized, if you want to experience Jesus in a new way, this is the time, and I say it every single week, talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.